I'm thrilled to be able to welcome in Jeff Kemp to the Benson and Those Guys program. Jeff is a former NFL quarterback. He is also the son of the late Congressman Jack Kemp, who himself was a one-time NFL quarterback. In fact, he was an MVP quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Jeff is also the author of Facing the Blitz. Jeff, we welcome you to the program. It is truly a privilege to have you on the show. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be with you. Do I understand correctly that you and your dad were the first father-son quarterback combo in the NFL? Yeah, we're not quite as famous as uh, Peyton Manning and Archie and uh, Eli Manning, but we were the first of, uh, I think there's six that have had father-son combos. Now, your dad is still fairly legendary here in western New York. Do you have a favorite memory of his time as a Buffalo Bill? Um, I remember going to Saturday practices at War Memorial Stadium, and uh, it was kind of the personal nature of throwing the ball around with uh, Paul McGuire and Cookie Gilchrist, Albert DeBenyon, and Paul Costa, Eddie Rakowski. Those are great memories of mine, uh, hanging out with Dad and his friends. I didn't remember this specific memory, but Dad's told the story, and so it's kind of one that's embedded in my head. I was, I think, a 10 when he quit playing football. Um, but there was a game when Daryl LaMonica was the backup quarterback. Everyone was cheering for LaMonica to be put in. Dad had thrown an interception. They were booing him, and they had the ball on the 15 or 10-yard line coming out, and uh, people were all booing as he walked out of the huddle, and he said, let's shut him up and score. They went to the line of scrimmage. He audible, threw a bomb over the free safety's head, and as the boos were deafening, the ball flew in the air, and they started to calm the booze down. Pretty soon they switched tone, and pretty soon it was kind of a gasp, and then a catch, and a cheer, and he ran for a touchdown. And uh, the booze turned to cheers, which is a beautiful metaphor for uh, blitzes turning to blessings or the way things don't just go from good to bad in life. They also go from bad to good, and that is the ultimate destination of history with Jesus in charge and leading us to it. Your book is called Facing the Blitz. We know what a blitz is in football, but can you tell us about a blitz in the context of your book? Yeah, the book starts off with a metaphor from the Monday night game where uh, the Houston Oilers show a big blitz at the Philadelphia Eagles, and we turned it around to score um, a touchdown, the only touchdown of the game. Uh, and I ended up on my back on that play as the quarterback with the ball in the hands of the tight end for a touchdown. And football blitzes turn around real quick. They're dangerous, but they're opportunities uh, in life. They don't always turn around quite so quickly, but it could be losing your job. Uh, it could be getting an illness. It could be something with the economy that tanks your investment account. Um, obviously, it could be even death of a loved one, a parent, a spouse, a child, a divorce. These bad things that happen in the world are not the end of the road. They're not the last chapter. And the book of Romans says that we don't just rejoice in God's gift of eternal life. We rejoice in tribulation, trials difficulties, losses, blitzes, because they bring about perseverance towards God and character like Jesus and hope in heaven. And that's when the love of God is poured out, even though our circumstances are bad. Real life stuff that happens can be viewed as a blitz, but in it is an opportunity. You mentioned these opportunities. What are some of the good, the bad, and the other opportunities presented when we experience one of those life blitzes? I think that probably the greatest um, opportunity is to draw closer to God and form a relationship that's more authentic and real and personal than ever before. And sadly, we humans tend to live our lives in pride and self-dependence until something tough happens. And then sometimes we run from God, but also in those moments we might run toward God. So the good would be the chance to turn to God and develop a closer relationship to realize, realize that he and Jesus have experienced all the pain any humans ever have, they can empathize better than anyone else. 
another opportunity is that sometimes we need to humble ourselves and learn in a situation to change, to become different. Maybe we need to stop being so selfish and become more other-centered. Maybe we need to be quicker to listen and pay attention to people rather than so quick to talk and always spot off our opinion. Mm. It might be that a, a blitz as painful as it is to get fired by a job, or in my case, um, yeah, I got kicked out of the NFL, but that set me up to go into ministry. And I also, when I was in ministry, had a year where we ran out of money, and I fired myself so we'd have enough money to keep the organization alive. And what it did is it opened me up to my next job, my next career track. So sometimes a blitz changes direction for us in ways that we wouldn't have chosen, but are really the best thing. What are some of those personal blitzes that you've experienced throughout your life? And is there one that was maybe more difficult than another for you personally? I don't claim to have the world's toughest blitzes. Some of our listeners and other people have faced such terribly difficult things. But when you lose your career, it's painful. And I think most guys can feel that. Many women can feel that. And I, I lost my career, you know, at age 33 when I had to leave the NFL and want me to play anymore. And yet I still wanted to play a few years. That was tough. Uh, it ended up being very emotional and driving me closer to Jesus. Uh, but probably the toughest was when my dad got melanoma cancer. And I found out that he was going to pass away. And then we had four months with him. And uh, the hardest part was kind of the finding out. Uh, the great part was the intimacy and the connection and the intentionality of having four months to say everything you want to say to your dad and listen to him say wonderful things and, and even pray a blessing over me. Um, and to know that God's peace transcended the terrible ravages of cancer and even death because we are souls who have a body. But when the body goes away, your soul continues, which is why it's so crucial to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. Former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp talks with us on Benson and Those Guys. Jeff is also the author of Facing the Blitz. What do you say to someone whose dreams in life have been crushed by a blitz? How do you, how do you coach them through such an experience? Well, I mean, practically speaking, if someone's going through a really tough cancer or they lost their job or something, I don't think you just come and say, hey, I know how it feels. They don't, you don't know exactly how it feels to them. Um, you need to be empathetic and just be with them in their pain. By the same token, pretty soon, if they're open to hearing, you may say, you know, can I tell you about a time where I faced something pretty tough? I'm not saying it's as tough as yours, but kind of here's some of what I learned. And, and what you want to share with them is you need to face your blitzes head on. You need to face reality. You can't just sit there and say, I just want it to be different. I want it to be different. The sooner you face it and say, this is what we're dealing with, God, I need the strength to, to handle this, the better off you are. Secondly, sometimes when we face blitzes, we, we play the victim and we kind of look around to point the finger to blame others. And maybe they did something terrible to us. Maybe we contributed to the blitz uh, or, 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 you know, the situation that is so painful. It doesn't help at all to point the finger at others. In fact, it slows down the healing. It slows down the ability to re re rebound and progress when we point the finger and play victim. So it really does make sense to say, what can I learn? through this terrible thing that happened to me or this terrible experience I'm going through. And finally, encourage people that the best stance to have in a blitz isn't pride that this shouldn't have happened to me as much as humility. It says, I don't know what this means. I don't know how to handle this, but I want to grow and I want to learn. I want to change. God, give me your help. I may need to reach out to the help for the help of others. Don't stay in your uh, little pocket of self-protection and fail to ask for help. Humble yourself. 
Look for a team. Get some people to help you. Go to a counselor. Go to your pastor. Confide in your wife or your husband. And finally, in a blitz, you may need to forgive someone. Uh, and you're going to take, you're going to need some patience to grow out mm-hmm. of it. So those are some of the things, um, to share, but you, it starts with empathy and compassion and just being with them in their pain. Um, the book lays out strategies for facing blitzes. And they're simply this. Take a long-term view, be willing to change, and focus on others. Jeff, there are trials and blitzes in life, and then there's some that are just seem even more overwhelming. They're at a, a whole nother level, such as a loss of a job or maybe a spouse walking out on them. Do you handle that differently? I mean, what do you say to the man or woman who lost their job or, or their spouse has left them? You know, um, it's a very similar answer to the last answer. At the starting place, when we're um, approaching someone who's in a blitz, is comfort. You also have to be patient and realize that things don't turn around right away. So we can't say, hey, it'll all be okay. This will turn into a touchdown. I don't imply that at all. Some of the stories I tell in the book about a gal that lost her soldier son in Iraq who came home and, and died of PTSD and a family that lost their son in a car crash and family that had a child born with spina bifida and a guy that lost his business, his career, and uh, all of his business dreams. Those don't turn around quickly. So you start with compassion for them. But I think you remind them that if you draw close to God and if you draw close to others, and if you look around for other people to encourage at this time while you're hurting, and if you remember that God has a long-term plan for your life, there's more than just this painful chapter you're in, and if you're ready to grow and become closer to God, more humble, more other-centered, more of a listener, less of a talker, more of a servant, less of a taker, obviously more of an investor in that relationship rather than a, ta- a consumer, that you will move through this blitz more quickly. And it may even turn into something that prepares you to help many people and have positive chapters in the future. So encourage them that, you know, there, there's a path forward, but you need teamwork and you need to draw close to God. Uh, and if you look to encourage others, it'll make your pain less painful. In the book, you discuss personal accountability. Why is it important to take personal responsibility for your actions and how does that affect your relationship with others? I told a story in there about a, a field goal kicker, great kicker, um, great guy, amazing guy. He serves people these days, Todd Peterson. And uh, he was a very responsible kicker, made most of his field goals. But one game, he missed a field goal. And part of the reason was the snap was bad and the hold was bad, and then he missed the kick. And after the game, and they said, Don, I should have made that kick. I feel bad about that. Unfortunately, you know, we had a bad snap and a bad hold. So what happened was he kind of spread a little bit of the blame to others. And one of the great coaches on our team, Jim Zorn, came up to him and said, he thought, you know what, coaches would really love to defend players, but we can't defend them unless the coach, the player takes 100% responsibility. Just focus on the part that you had something to do with the kick. Ignore the hole, ignore the, the snap. And uh, Todd Peterson took that lesson of heart. He was an incredibly uh, responsible guy going forward. But you cannot, you cannot grow if you don't look at your own part in any problem. If you play the victim and point the finger at anyone else, you'll, you'll learn the lesson slower, you won't get out of that situation, and you might be more likely to repeat it in the future. The other thing about taking responsibility, it makes it so other people won't need to blame you. <laughs> but if you take responsibility, they won't spend their time pointing the finger at you and blaming you. And say, oh, well, gosh, you take responsibility, that's big of them. Now let's see if we can help them succeed this next time. 
Now, you devote an entire chapter to encouraging your audience to be investors and not consumers. What are the major differences or contrasts between an investor and a consumer, and how have you seen this played out in your own career? I think people probably have a, a good idea of what the difference is between investor and consumer. Consumer uses their money, buys stuff, and pretty soon that stuff's gone, um, and there's no more value. An investor takes their money, delays immediate gratification, puts it in some enterprise, um, a real estate project or uh, a stock market investment or some other business enterprise, and it grows the value so that there's more in the future than there even is at the present. I speak of that in regard to relationships. And it's interesting, in pro football, uh, there's an example. Quarterbacks are trying to throw the ball perfectly accurately, one foot diameter of accuracy to make it easy for receivers to catch keep running. And receivers are taught that they should catch anything thrown even near them. They're both working on making the other player look good. The receivers make the quarterback look good, and the quarterbacks make the receivers look good. They're both trying to make the game easier for the other fellow to play. They expect more of themselves than they do of other people. That's what leads to great teamwork and great success. An investor in relationships is someone who says, you know, what can I do to bring up the best in this person, the best in the relationship? How can I add value for the future? Whereas a consumer, they just want to, feel okay in the moment. So they might argue, they might defend themselves, they want to might want to make a cutting remark, might want to use sarcasm. Um, if, in, if in a marriage, if, if a couple has a disagreement and the guy is a consumer, then he's just going to argue till he wins his point. If he can't win his point, he's going to walk out and call her some dumb name. And what he did is he just destroyed the value of the relationship and he damaged uh, the, the nature of his wife. So investors are people who are thinking, what's best for them? They're thinking about, how can I add value to their, their life? How can I ask questions and learn about them? You know what? I want to try to understand what, what they're thinking and what they're doing before I want them to understand me, and that's a crucial one. If you're an investor parent, and you're more interested in how your kid's character turns out than whether or not they make some team or get a trophy so you can brag about it. Some, some people that are consumers are more focused on what attention they get for what goes on in their lives. You've mentioned teamwork, and you've also mentioned building relationships. Both are a big theme in your book. What are some of the life lessons you've learned in the locker room that helped build trust in the relationships that are closest to you? Well, that was pretty cool. Steve Large, a Hall of Fame football player, uh, and a close friend of mine on the Seahawks, he knew the offense well and was you know, not terribly challenged by the summer training camp um, practice drills and such. But one of the things he paid attention to in the summer was he'd help put on a little meal and welcome all the rookies to the team and let them know that there's uh, veterans that have a Bible study and that love God and would love to be a help to them. And they're welcome to come to the Bible study or ask any of us for help. Told them about chapel service, which we held before the games. Gave them some food. That's a great way to build team rapport. Reggie White, also a Hall of Fame, amazing fellow. I played with him on the Eagles. He led our team Bible study and, and asked me to help him lead one time and we talked about uh, apology, confession, repentance. And then we, he led us in, a, in a, an apology and confession of um, attitudes about race and prejudice, bias, lack of forgiveness, bitterness. And here's every black guy to apologize to every white guy and every white guy to apologize to every black guy and to each other for really not being forces of healing and holding on to negative uh, stereotypes. And that was the most amazing battle study I've ever seen. And it grows the camaraderie and teamwork off the field that helps you want to sacrifice 
on the field. But teamwork is really about having a bigger vision than yourself. You're playing for a cause greater than yourself, and you're willing to sacrifice yourself in the moment to make the team win. Mm. Jeff, as a quarterback, you're viewed as the leader of the team, and you talk about leadership a lot in your book. If you could capture the influence of, of truly great leadership in one word, what would that be? Well, it includes encouragement and, and vision and inspiration, um, courage, but I'd probably wrap it up in one word, and that's lift. Uh, to lift other people's sights, to lift other people's spirits, to lift the mood of the group of people, um, to lift our eyes from the short term to the long term, um, to lift people's view of themselves from kind of a small, insecure, worried, self-conscious, I don't know if I can do this, um, I'm, I'm not that good at this view of themselves, to a positive big view of who they can become. Here's an example. <laughs> my dad used to always say, Jeff, your day's going to come. Think like a starter, be a starter. He watched me play football one day, and he said, hey, you look great today. He was on TV. And I said, Dad, I didn't even get in the game. I was all frustrated. He said, I know. I saw you warming up. You're throwing the ball great. So here he found something to encourage, even though I wasn't even playing. Um, in the scriptures, there's a story of Gideon, uh, who was to become a great warrior and, and leader, but he was not that when he was a teenager. He was hiding in a wine press, uh, knocking out some weed so he could have something to eat. He was hiding in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord came to him and spoke to Gideon these words, Oh, Gideon, the Lord is with you, you great and valiant warrior, you mighty man of valor. So in essence, the angel was lifting Gideon's view of himself to be who God saw him to be, who he was going to become. A dad's job, a mom's job, is to lift the child's view of himself. Uh, to lift them to higher behavior, higher standards, higher faith, higher self-confidence. Um, and to any leader that does a great job lifts that, that team or that organization um, to a more noble purpose, noble cause, higher standards, greater level of self-sacrifice and teamwork, which is what brings bigger results to everybody. And uh, you can remember that word lift as well because airplanes are able to fly because their wings generate lift. You know, you mentioned um, teamwork and marriage, of course, being uh, in your book, you refer to as the ultimate team. And I believe marriage and family are under attack in today's society, and, and that's of the devil, of course. But how have you and your wife, Stacy sought to be investors in your marriage rather than being consumers? Well, Stacy and I had, um, I in particular had some misconceptions going into marriage. I thought it was an easy, automatic, just show up and it's going to be fun and didn't realize how different we were or how difficult marriage is because it's two selfish people, two centers married to one another. But we had a great benefit in that we chose to invest in a relationship with Jesus Christ and say that marriage is for life. And if God is who he is, he's big enough to help us stick with his commitment. So no matter the problem, it's only going to drive us to say, how can we change? How can we learn? How can we know more of God? What can we learn more about marriage? Um, how can we grow? And we went to mentors. We went to classes. We went to conferences. Um, gosh, we read books and videotapes, and we got a lot of help. And these big differences that were giving us challenges, eventually we learned to accept them and chuckle sometimes at how different we are and actually view them as uh, grounds for great teamwork. My son one time was five years old and said, Daddy, you guys are too different to be married. And I said, no, Keegan, the reason we're married is because we are different. 
you know, there's receivers and quarterbacks are very different on the team and they do different things. The other one can't. But that's what makes for a great team. And that's how it is in marriage. So for us, investing has looked like praying together every single day, all through our marriage. Um, it's been studying the scriptures and studying marriage books. It's been teaching marriage to young couples. We mentor couples and we lead small groups, and that keeps us fresh. I'm going to a counselor right now because I want to grow as a husband and learn some things. Uh, so that's a way to invest. And then dating. A lot of couples date and then they get married and forget that you're actually married, so now you can keep dating. And <laughs> you should be dating every, you know, a bunch, every month, a couple times, three times, four times. And then here's, here's some practicals about um, investing. When it comes to communication and conflict resolution, because everyone has conflict, invest in your spouse by using these type of questions and words to draw out understanding of them rather than just getting your opinion across. One of them is help me understand. Help me understand where you're coming from, what you were thinking, what were you feeling. Help me understand. The other one is what do you need from me now? What do you, what do you need from me? See how other-centered that is? That's an investment in the relationship. That's an investment in them. And then the third one is, how can I help? For a husband to ask his wife at the beginning of a day if she's stressed, how can I help? Or over the course of this next week, how can I help? That is huge. It shows that you care about them. And then, you know, sometimes we husbands don't have much of a clue. We're focused on business and work and this and that. But to ask your wife the question, how can I help? What would make our relationship better? How can I serve you? She'll give you some answers. Write them down. All of a sudden, you got a game plan. Go start investing. We're talking with Jeff Kemp here on Benson and Those Guys. Jeff, before we let you go, can can you share with us how you first came to faith in Jesus Christ? I will. Let me. We just talked about marriage. Let me just point out that if anyone wants to invest in their marriage, save their marriage, heal their marriage, help someone else save their marriage, they can go to FamilyLife.com and find out about the Weekend to Remember and the Art of Marriage and other resources. That's where I work and. And that's our goal is to invest in marriages and see a revival of the ultimate team. And the journey that led me there takes me back to your question. How did I um, give my life to Christ? It was in a Christian home where I started going to church and heard about Jesus from my mom um, and church. Junior high, went to camp and made commitments. But it ended up being kind of an intellectual belief. And I drifted from that walk with Jesus during junior high and high school and college. And my last year of college, when we graduated, um, I'd pretty much been walking on my own without God as central role in my life, and I compromised quite a bit. But I realized I was as successful as I've ever been. I had a free agent contract with the Rams. I was popular. I had girlfriends. I was in fraternity. I had good grades from an Ivy League college at Dartmouth. And here I'd go off to L.A. to play pro football in a couple weeks. And, uh, boy, after these graduation parties and stuff, I'd, I'd go to sleep at 3 or 4 in the morning and couldn't fall asleep. I'd be laying there and there was this emptiness in me, this vacuum, this gnawing feeling that something's wrong, I'm missing something. Why am I not happy? And the answer came back to me was the verse Romans 8, 28. And I hadn't been reading the Bible, and I don't think I'd paid attention to this Bible verse for years, but it says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And what woke me up, which I really think is the work of God, the Holy Spirit who allows us to understand him and turn to him. Um, and therefore, it's, a, it's something he gets the credit for, not something we can brag about or earn. But he was working, and he was opening my heart, and those words came in my head three nights in a row. And I realized, ah, oh, the problem is purpose. 
I say I love God, but I'm not called according to his purpose. I'm called according to Jeff Kemp on my own purpose. And so I turned over my purpose to Jesus. I said, God, take over my life. And uh, I went out to the Rams, met Christian players, met my wife soon after that. Miraculously, I made the team, which was a blessing of God. And then I started getting discipled and was in the team Bible studies, and I grew from there. So actually, success proved to be empty, and Romans 8.28 was put in my head by God, and that showed me that I needed him as my purpose, not myself. We're talking with Jeff Kemp. The book is Facing the Blitz. How can our listeners get a copy of the book? Well, I have a website called facingtheblitz.com. And there's a lot of stuff there, Rick. Um, they can buy the book there on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble and uh, Lifeway and other, other bookstores. Uh, but you can get it online at facingtheblitz.com. And then there's also a free study guide called Huddle Up. And there's guys that are sitting around going through the book, reading the questions, looking at the scripture verses and talking it through each week. And I also have these weekly devotionals. They're just a one-minute video with a couple questions and a scripture and a quote. And those are called Facing Your Blitz. And they can find those and sign up for those for free on uh, the FacingTheBlitz.com website as well. Is there anything we can keep in prayer for you? Well, I want to um, grow as a husband. I want to um, be a lifelong investor, and I'm praying that uh, the mission of family life would spread so that more and more men could discover their identity as investors, not consumers, that they see themselves as um, givers and committers and lovers of their wives, um, and not as small-minded guys that are takers and consumers. Um, we want to revive marriage and revive manhood and see the family strengthen. So pray for my marriage and pray for a spread of marital commitment and manhood identity across this country. Those are great things to keep in prayer. Jeff, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a, it's, it's been a real treat to talk to you, and I wish you all the best with the book and with everything in your ministry at Family Life. Thanks, Rick. Great to talk to your listeners and you, and uh, I pray God's blessings in their lives that they would see the difficulty, the challenges, the losses, uh, the blitzes as opportunities to turn to God, to build a team, and to find out how he wants them to bless others. He's Jeff Kemp, former NFL quarterback, author of the book Facing the Blitz. He's also the son of the great Jack Kemp. You can get the book FacingTheBlitz.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or a number of other book retailers. It's often said, if you're not going through a trial now, it's because you just came through one or you're about to go through one. Jeff provides in his book a lot of good ideas, a lot of solid biblical principles on how to deal with those trials and not only just get through them, but turn them into opportunities for good. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com.